Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi, friends. Now, I'm taking this from the info they provided. This is something interesting. Often called ham radio, the amateur radio service has been around for a century. In that time, it's grown into a worldwide community of licensed operators using the airwaves with every conceivable means of communications technology. Its people range in age from youngsters to grandparents. The American Radio Relay League is the National Association for Amateur Radio in the U.S., representing over 170,000 FCC-licensed amateurs. The ARRL Field Day is the single most popular on-the-air event held annually in the U.S. and Canada. On the fourth weekend of June of every year, thousands of radio amateurs gather with their clubs, groups, or simply with friends to operate from remote locations. Although there is lots of fun involved, the main purpose of Field Day is to contact as many other stations as possible and to learn to operate radio gear in abnormal situations and less than optimal conditions. Despite the development of very complex modern communications systems, or maybe because they are so complex, ham radio has been called into action again and again to provide communications and crisis and when it really matters the most. Field Day is Ham Radio's open house. Every June, more than 40,000 hams, as operators are called, throughout North America set up temporary transmitting stations in public places to demonstrate Ham Radio's science, skill, and service to our communities and our nation. It combines public service emergency preparedness, community outreach, and technical skills, and all this happens in one single event, Field Day. It has been an annual event since 1933 and remains the most popular event in ham radio. And you may not be familiar with ham or be an operator, but it's interesting to learn how these folks can help us in dire situations, disasters, hurricanes, floods, all kinds of things. So here to talk about Field Day and everything ham radio is Kurt Phillips, Raleigh Amateur Radio Society Field Day Chairman. Welcome, Kurt. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, and I'm happy you're here to talk all things ham with us. And I'm going to start with just you personally. How long have you been involved with amateur radio, and what got you started? Okay, well, first let me give you my call sign. Call sign is very important in ham radio because it's our 
alternate name, and my call sign is W4CP, Whiskey 4 Charlie Papa, as we say in phonetically. And uh, I've been a ham over 50 years. You know, at some point in life, you get to the point where you underestimate how much experience you have. So, <laughs> so I've been around for quite a while. Uh, like I say, it's, it's been fun the whole time. Uh, one of the appealing aspects of this interest is reaching faraway places and making friends all over the world. Tell us your most interesting story on this. One thing was actually quite a while ago, uh, but we do talk to people around the world. And one thing we have always, of course, again, I've been one long enough to back when the Soviet Union was the Soviet Union, and we could talk to them, but we were, we always say, we're, we're trying to be goodwill ambassadors for the United States. And just we're ambassadors for our hobby. So we try not to get too much into politics. Uh, but we do just form friendships, et cetera. For instance, there was a, a um, missionary in South America, Uruguay, that I had some common or frequent contact with just to provide him with a way to contact the outside world. Again, this predates cell phones and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I enjoyed the most was Many years ago, when I was in high school, um, I talk, was talking to a fellow in England, or Brit, Brit, British, because we don't want to get confused. He was a teacher, not an English teacher. But he was from England, but he was a teacher. And we, I was in high school, so we started discussing the educational system in Britain versus that in the United States. And he had said, hey, i got a friend that's also a teacher, Let me, and he's a ham. Let me give him a call. So we gave him a quick call. So we all three got on the frequency. And sometimes when you're talking internationally, the frequency doesn't stay in good shape for a long time. There's there's also something called propagation. But in this particular case, the signals were strong for an hour, hour and a half. And we just sat there discussing the various aspects of education. I was discussing it from a high schooler standpoint, they from teacher standpoint. And I just found it tremendously interesting because uh, you do wonder how they do things in other schools. And of course, there's sometimes official communication with how they do it. But hearing it directly from a couple of teachers and what they thought the weaknesses and strengths were, uh, I just found it to be tremendously interesting, and they seemed to be interested in, in how the uh, United States school system worked. So that was a, a, a real fun time, very interesting, very educational, and I, I really enjoyed that. Well, you know, I should, this was a question later in my format, but you you keep using the word, I know a ham, this ham, this ham. So let's talk about why, or, or how did amateur radio operators become known as hams? I'll tell you something that people will relate to a little more, and that's the word hacker. Uh, it started out as a derisive term, ham did, as hacker did. I got involved with computers early and was doing professional programming in addition to my engineering work, and people would say, you're a hacker. And I said, I'm not a hacker, you know, because that was kind of a derisive word. But now... You call someone a hacker, they say, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I'm a hacker, you know. So ham radio or ham is similar. Uh, the professional operators on the radio thought the amateur operators weren't very good, and so they called them ham. And that was, like I say, a, a bad term initially, but we ter- uh, changed it and adopted it as our moniker, and now it's used very affectionately by all of us. That's interesting. Now, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, because we're going to talk about people getting involved in this, but first of all, 
In brief, because it can be quite complicated, so just very brief, what's new in amateur radio equipment? Really, there's two two major areas. One is known as SDR, Software Defined Radio. And typically, in many of the radios I'm sitting here in my ham shack, uh, are very complicated, lots and lots of electronics, etc. But over time, particularly as computers have become faster and more capable, they can take just a few electronics, a relatively simple set of electronics, plug it into the computer, and in software do many of the things that were done in electronics in older radios. So it's, that's why they call software-defined radio. The other thing you can do with that is obviously if I come up with an improvement in the old radio, I had to buy a new radio. Or maybe, if it was possible, change out a circuit board or something. But now you can just update the software in your computer and your radio now has new functions that it didn't have previously. So that's one really big thing is software-defined radio. Other thing is is digital modes. That's on the radio having computers talking to computers. And the thing about that that's so intriguing to me is there used to be an old phrase in ham radio, you can't work them if you can't hear them. That is, work them as the contact station. And you can't work them if you can't hear them. Well, now you can. There are digital modes that what you will hear on the radio sounds like static. You can't make heads or tails from it. But your computer can actually pick out information from it. One of those was uh, invented by a fellow named Joe Taylor at Princeton University, who is a Nobel Prize winner, not for ham radio, but a Nobel Prize winner, and I was fortunate enough to meet him once. And his is the best at this point. Like I say, you have to have the computer connected to even know there is a signal there because you just cannot hear it. It's way below the threshold of hearing. So that's an amazing thing because that means we can communicate in situations where it would seem that we could not. So it's it's almost miraculous in that area, and it just allows us to be much more capable of communicating regardless if the circumstances are quite perfect or not. So I'm going to throw some quick bullets at you for some quick answers. Is this an expensive pastime? It's like most hobbies. You can spend as much as you got. <laughs> <laughs> but but you don't have to. Uh, I started at 13 years old, and I didn't have a lot of money, and so I got started pretty cheaply. Uh, now you can get started even less expensively there is a method if you get the lowest class or the first class license that you, you start with, you can actually get some radios to participate in that for $30 or $40. Uh, that are, are good little radios. I actually have one of them that I tested, et cetera. And so they're good radios. Now you will see in the magazine things that you would like. <laughs> and yeah. as we all do. And uh, there is a particular radio out of Germany that is something like $18,000. Right. I don't okay. have one. I don't ever expect to have one. Yeah. But, you know, it's up on the bullet board. <laughs> so, so speaking of listening uh, for licensing, do you still have to take the Harry Carey FCC licensing test to be a ham? You still take an FCC test. There's actually three levels of licensing. Technician classes first. General class is second, and what they call amateur extra is the highest class. And with each class, you get more frequencies that you can operate on. 
so that's your incentive to to get a higher class license. Are they difficult though? Like if you just get in an entry level just to do it, kind of as a hobby, is it? Do you have to be a genius? Oh no, no, no. We got. I got mine at thirteen, and it was tougher then than it is now. Of course, that's what old people always say. But yeah. But now we have six year olds get their license. Okay. Um, it, it's a bit of a stretch. For, I teach some license classes, and I taught a class of Boy Scouts some years ago, and it was pushing it a little bit for them. And, of course, at that age, early Boy Scout age, you, your mind doesn't stay focused as well as, as you would like for it to. But uh, they did pretty well, and uh, you, you maybe you have to work a little harder if you're a little younger, but it's definitely not. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be an electronic uh, expert. Uh, it's it's all very straightforward and very um, practical for the most part of what you're learning. And you do still take a test, but you don't. In the old days, you had to go to an FCC office. Uh, and the closest one to here was Norfolk, although they did come around and do tests in uh, Wilmington and Winston-Salem. Now we have volunteer examiners, and they give tests. You can find the test almost any weekend in the Raleigh triangle area uh so actually not so much right at this minute as you might suspect many of them got disrupted by the covid situation right. but they're coming but back generally yes okay what about morse code uh, do you have to still know that no you no. do not okay. i mean a lot of people still use it i learned it i had to know it to the highest level uh back when i was doing it uh, getting my licenses but uh now it is a lot of people do it. They enjoy it. It's fun. It's a neat little secret language you can learn. Mm-hmm. But you do not have to do it to, to get your hand light. So so there is a whole different side to amateur radio that some may not be aware of, and, and that is the help hams provide. What kinds of emergencies do hams assist with? Well, these things have changed over time because cell phones were a major uh, influence used to hardly anybody could communicate just out on their own. Now everybody has a cell phone virtually. But still, our system is much more rugged than the cell phone system. It's great. I have cell phones. But it takes a lot of technology and a lot of people and a lot of hardware to get the job done. And so one thing that we do is tornado spotting. It's something called Skywarn. And we get trained in that. And... I've been trained in it since 1984, so it's not something that just got started. But there's great radar that the weather forecasters have. But as you get down to the ground, they can't provide as good information as human beings can. So that's one area we work in. Hurricanes, the aftermath of hurricanes, we get very much involved when the infrastructure, the, the technical infrastructure has been damaged. In fact, this was many years ago, 1996, but in, when Hurricane Fran hit North Carolina, hit about Wilmington, the first information that Governor Hunt, who was our governor at the time, got on that hurricane was from ham radio operators. There you go. So wasn't that there wasn't other ways, but they had been destroyed or damaged beyond the ability to work at that particular point. So we adapt to the need. Again, our equipment's pretty resilient. It doesn't require the huge infrastructure that so many of the other wonderful things that we have do require. So when other systems don't work, many, many, many times our system does work. Any emergency you were involved in that you can recall? Actually, it's funny. There was one emergency that I had. 
I'll tell that in a minute. But first, Hurricane Fran. I did a lot of communication after Hurricane Fran in 96 and even got a commendation for it. Good. And we were just providing messages in and out early on whenever some of the, again, more uh, traditional systems were not functioning correctly. And so that's that's kind of the thing we do. But there's two things. Uh, another thing about ham radio that's not generally understood, and that is as opposed to a cell phone. When I transmit on ham radio, many, many people can hear me at once. If I call on the phone, I'm talking to just one person, landline or, or a cell phone. Mm-hmm. So I was in Houston, which has trouble with flooding, and I was it, the road was flooding. Literally, I had a small sports car at that time, and water was coming in over the door seal. Oh. And I was very worried, and I put out a call. Again, for help, just, hey, can anybody help me? I didn't know Houston. I only lived there for a short while. And another hand came back, and he said, where are you? And I gave him, actually, an oil, oil refinery I was close to, and he said, I think I know where you are. I can get you to higher ground. And probably 20 people had heard that. Had I had a cell phone, I wouldn't have known who to call. So with the ham radio, I just put out a call, hey, I need some help. Can somebody help me? And he did get me to higher ground, and I was, of course, very thankful for that. So that wasn't a big emergency, but for me, it was a, a pretty mm-hmm. good emergency, you know, having water coming in over the door yes, seal. So, I, I qualify so that I thought, as an emergency. <laughs> yes, I, I thought it was a very good handling of an emergency for, for my purposes. And, you know, we're talking about the emergencies, but the skill set gets involved in everything, like marathons, fundraisers, parades, uh, tell us a little bit about the role of ham in that, just in very brief, because we're almost out of time and, and we still want to get on the topic of the event. But where do you play a role there? We are usually stationed along the route, and many of these are rural where phone coverage is not that good. And also the party line aspect means I can say one thing here, and many people will hear it, provide the information instantaneously to many people. And we do health checks. We're, we're making sure that the riders or runners or walkers or whatever, uh, if anybody has any health problems, we can radio to get somebody to help them there oh. uh, if, if somebody gets injured. And so really a lot of it is health checks. Just let people know when the last runner has passed so they'll have a sense of about when it's going to end. So there's any number of ways that we can provide communications in a way better than, than other technologies. So if someone was curious and wanted to become involved in amateur radio, what would you suggest? Uh, one is RARS.org. That's for the Raleigh Amateur Radio Society, RARS.org. Or nationally, the ARRL.org. That's American Radio Relay League.org. Or on Facebook, if you're in North Carolina, there's a place on Facebook called North Carolina Ham Operators. There's actually any number of pages on Facebook that can, can get some local help. And classes are given. They're starting back up now. Classes are given many times a year. So so let's indeed go back to the event this uh, June 26th and 27th. Uh, maybe give us an overview of it. It is an emergency exercise or, or something to test our emergency capabilities. And in most cases, we take a field. Hopefully it has some trees because we like to put antennas up in the trees, but a, a field with some trees that's just a meadow and woods. And we bring generators, we bring tents, we bring our radios, we bring all the infrastructure we need to turn that into a location which can communicate across the United States as we test during the contest 
but really around the world in many cases, if the area needed some assistance and the other infrastructure was destroyed. So that's what I like. It's, it's a meadow, it's a wood. We turn it into communications area. Then Sunday afternoon, it turns back into a meadow or wood. And the, the, the dichotomy really I find quite interesting. So um, this takes place in Canada, and is it in all 50 states in the U.S.? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Very, very popular in all 50 states and Canada. It's a kind of a cooperative effort. They, they test their equipment. We test ours. So I understand the site for this in, locally in Apex, North Carolina, is the Carroll Farm on Friendship Road. But how do folks find out about their local spot? Well, actually, I mentioned the ARRL.org. They mm-hmm. actually have a locator. Uh, if you click, find the right, click on Field Day, and then they'll have a map. You put in your location, and they will have a little map with dots where places people are doing uh, participating in Field Day. So um, you can go to this even if you're not a ham, just if you're interested or curious. Oh, yes, absolutely. You do not have to be a ham to to go to any of these websites or in these uh, uh, Facebook groups I mentioned. Okay. And, um, I mean, to attend the event itself. Oh, no, no, not that easy. We we welcome people that are not hams to come and see see us playing with our radios, and you can even get a chance to transmit yourself. We have a special station called the GOTA, Get on the Air, and they will teach you, do some teaching on how you get on the air, how you talk, what you say, and then you can have the chance to to get on the air yourself. You're not required to, oh, but fun. if you want to, that mm-hmm. could be your something you can try for yourself. Oh, that's fun. Good. And the website again for people that want information about Field Day. Uh, the local one is RARS R A R S dot org. Uh, that's the Raleigh Amateur Radio Society, and the the National one is ARRL.org, American Radio Relay League, and click on their field day link, and they can find you locations across the United States and in Canada. Okay, so W4CP, usually at this point in the show, I say thanks and goodbye to our guests, but this time I'm going to use what you taught me in Hamlingo and say 73, the old-time telegrapher's signal for Best regards. 73. Thank you so much. Time for our nonprofit spotlight. The Southeast Raleigh Promise seeks to lead revitalization efforts by engaging community members, building partnerships, securing funding, and ensuring significant investments in five key areas that include education, affordable housing, health and wellness, economic opportunity, and leadership development. Their primary goal is to dismantle the system that's perpetuated a cycle of poverty and replace it with a system that allows for all people to thrive. For info, serpromise.org. S like Sam, E like Edward, are like radio, promise.org. Well, it's time to high five and say goodbye. Keep listening on any major platform or at our website, triangle411.buzzsprout.com.
sprout.com, B-U-Z-Z, sprout.com, to catch whatever you're looking for in a podcast. We have it all. Chefs, sports, entertainment, medical breakthroughs, celebrities, self-help, you name it and you'll find it here. Please be sure to subscribe and like us. I'm Marianne Sprecher for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 do good.